podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the paths of suns. Today we sing, A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, wherein we talk about what we can learn from the recent Delta Green supplement, The Labyrinth, for our Invisible Sun games. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we discuss what we can draw from other games for our own Invisible Sun sessions. With this casting, we'll discuss the recently released supplement for the Delta Green RPG, The Labyrinth. This is a little unusual since it's just a it's an individual supplement for a very specific RPG that is not a lot like Invisible Sun in many ways. But we'll talk about some uh, lessons that can be learned from this supplement for an entirely different game and also illustrate how valuable it can be to read material from um, other games even if you're not playing them necessarily, just to get inspiration on how they handle some of the problems that are common to RPG, uh, uh, in this case, uh, session prep and campaign planning. Delta Green, that's is that a Trail of Cthulhu game? It is a. Uh, it, it is originally a call based on Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So it was a uh, more or less spinoff. Uh, call of Cthulhu in the base game is set in the 1920s. Yep. And in the 1990s, uh, there was something called Cthulhu Now, which used the same rule set, but with a modern setting. Um, and there was also a development of a, uh, a a game called Delta Green, which was, again, set. It was still a Call of Cthulhu, basically a set scenario, uh, except you're playing government operatives that are uh, somewhat secretly within the government uh, fighting off the threats of the Cthulhu mythos. So think okay. X-Files. Though um, this actually precedes the X-Files by a few months, so this is not based on the X-Files, but it has that similar tone of uh, either a secret or a very low priority government agency trying to fight threats that far outclass its own resources. Okay. I I was thinking this was a gumshoe game, but it is a Call of Cthulhu game. Okay. Right. Now, there is a new version called Fall of Delta Green, which is a gumshoe version of delta green set in the 1960s (laughs) yeah so these these all intertwine yep the tone of delta green uh much like call of cthulhu is a slow grind of insanity corruption and alienation as one tries to fight back evil for one more day so unlike the zero to hero approach of Dungeons and Dragons where you start with a level one character with very limited powers. And if you play the whole, your character all the way to level 20, they become basically a, you know, a godlike figure with massive powers. So there's this increasing power curve. Most of, of call of Cthulhu games and thereby Delta green is based on almost the opposite model where you're probably, uh, you might not be as skilled or knowledgeable at the beginning of the campaign, but you are, as sane, as healthy as you will ever be. Mm -hmm. And the campaign slowly grinds down your health and your sanity 
and alienates you from uh, those around you. And there's special mechanics in Delta Green for your uh, for bonds and how you use bonds to try and, and uh, defend yourself against the insanity producing pressures of fighting uh, this grand, grand cosmic evil. Um, and the, the, the toll you pay, because when you're mysteriously disappearing for three days at a time, um, and you're coming home uh, incredibly tense and mysteriously injured. Uh, this causes problems with your with your home life, with your work life, uh, in your day job, and this sort of stuff. And so this tone isn't necessarily invisible sun tone. <laughs> um, no, not really. But there there are elements of it that we can adapt. And and more than anything, I'm not adapting the tone of what. Um, I found in the labyrinth, but some ideas in how to prepare for a relatively open campaign uh, that I think fit with the sorts of campaigns we see in Invisible Sun, where it's some advice on how to prepare options that you can draw from and may inspire you as you put together a campaign. And that's why I'm focusing specifically on the Labyrinth rather than on, say, the Delta Green core game or anything like that, uh, which is much more tied to its tone. The Labyrinth is a new supplement that includes a selection of ally and antagonist groups. Each of the groups is written up to support extended and repeated interactions with your own party. And it's how they design the ally and antagonist groups that I found inspiring. Now, I'm only going to talk about the ally groups because that's all I've read so far. <laughs> it came out like last week or something. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's relatively new. I've only got about halfway through the book. Uh, but in how it talked about ally groups, I think there's a lot that we can use to uh, inspire our own uh, p- planning for campaigns. It's a preparation method that focus that is appropriate for Invisible Sun because it's very character-centric. It's about how these groups interact with people in your party. The groups are defined by their well-described, well-motivated members. And each of the groups has a flexible vision for progression. Uh, And and so I'm focusing on the allies, how an ally group would naturally evolve and how their evolution might be shaped by their interactions with the party. But we'll illustrate this. um, I'll talk about this a little more detail and then provide an example of adapting one of the groups from, from the labyrinth. So we've talked about some approaches to planning that are similar to this. Uh, we've talked about fronts several times and have illustrated how to use a front uh, approach to campaign development to develop antagonist groups. In that approach, the key is considering how inactivity by the party would allow the group to advance its cause. Is it just inactivity or is it also like how the activity of the party would interfere with that? Um, you you probably want so in in its base it is just what would happen if the party doesn't do anything uh, to stop this antagonist group, okay. but that implies you're also considering what they could do to stop the antagonist group. But the the the, the core thread for the for the fronts is that in the absence of effective party action, the front continues to accomplish its goals until it accomplishes its uh, major goal and brings on the impending doom. I guess the activity of the party is something you would react to rather than planning what they might do. Right. So the ally groups are not. I'm sorry. The the fronts yep. wouldn't be planning uh, about uh, planning in regards to the uh, party just yet. Though there's another model we may talk about later that is based on that approach from uh, 
Knights Black Agents, where you have the Conspiramid. And that's more focused on what would this group do to counter anything that the party tries to do? And then an escalating series of responses. But with fronts, it's mostly about if the players don't do anything about that uh, undead city, then the undead city builds an army. If they don't do anything about the undead army, the undead army marches on the home city. And if the players don't do anything about that, the undead army d- destroys the home city. Like mm-hmm. it's like so. What would ha- and then then you could figure out what is, what happens if the players do uh, try to disrupt the undead city. What do they do if they if they try to destroy major parts of this army? So you can start thinking about the reactions later. But the first step is just figuring out what happens if the players don't do anything. And it tries to create a world that's dynamic, that if the that the, that is changing, so that if the players are working, uh, you know, trying to fight the um, the 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 pirate slavers, uh, and they're not paying attention to the undead city, well, one of those groups gets more powerful because they because they aren't being impeded by the party's efforts. Mm-hmm. So they they it, it for fronts, it's intended to uh, give a sense that the world is changing and acting and growing when the players aren't around. Uh, which should give you a more immersive experience. And there's some of that obviously is built into the groups and the approach in the labyrinth, but the labyrinth adds a couple of elements that I think are interesting to this discussion of fronts. I mean, the first is to apply the same advancement logic to ally groups. Fronts are usually antagonist groups um, or, you know, or even natural hazards or things like that, but uh, they're, they're what the party is playing against in the labyrinth. Half of the organizations aren't organizations the players are playing against, but rather potential allies for the players. Now, a major theme in Delta Green is everything that the investigators touch because they have been corrupted by their exposure to the Cthulhu mythos will itself become corrupted. So a lot of the labyrinth write-ups that are specific to Delta Green are how does the how does meeting the player characters and learning of the mythos corrupt these otherwise perfectly benign, even helpful organizations that may not work for invisible sun necessarily, but the notion that working with your party changes what the group does is a, a, an interesting thing to think about. Like how does, how do, cause your, your players are affecting everything. They're the center of the story. Mm-hmm. So everyone that interacts with them should be changed by interacting with the players. And so that, that's kind of a new approach to allies. Like how does your party change the way the ally group oper- operates? Uh, a second element that's uh, across these ally narratives is that th- while they're ally groups, that doesn't mean they're simple. It doesn't mean that they are, um, that they're homogeneous. Instead, they recommend creating internal tension within the group to support narratives because that tension is where stories come from. So even ally groups may include some form of inherent tension cooked in to that particular group. Uh, And we'll give an example of this later because I don't want to give the examples from the labyrinth because they would, you know, these internal tensions are the story. So talking about the tensions spoils the story. And I'm going to try to avoid doing that for anyone who might be interested in this for Delta Green purposes itself. Uh, and then relatedly, you know, again, how the contact with the the party will change that group in relation to its internal tension. Because if there's internal tension, there's some sort of un- unbalance. If there's you know, different paths the group may go, interacting with the party may shape how it chooses one path or another or how it progresses down one of those paths. 
So I'll illustrate this by adapting a group from the Labyrinth book, but it will be adapted almost to the point where it is not recognizable and it will not spoil the particular elements of uh, the group from if you were to interact with this group in uh, a Delta Green game. So I'm, I'm going to use nothing more than what's on the back of the back cover of the book, basically describing what is uh, in that book called the Dream Syndicate. So in the Labyrinth, the Dream Syndicate is a group of people in our world that interacts online and tries to collate stories about dreams that are considered to be either prophecies um, or sort of distant viewing of historical events. But they believe repeated dreams are an indication of some sort of truth emerging through these dreams. And that struck me as something that kind of fits an invisible sun. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to adapt yeah, adapt that group into an invisible sun group uh, and drop all the internal tensions and the storyline implied by the Delta Green version of it and replace it with an invisible sun version. Uh, and because I'm doing it, it's going to inherently be political. That's kind of how it works, uh, but not partisan political, but invisible sun political. Yeah. So in, uh, the version for Invisible Sun is a group that gathers on the newsphere to collect a map or to kind of collate and draw a map of the blue sun or the domains under the blue sun. Mm -hmm. So this is initially a group that is explorers and they're trying to just uh, you know use their explorations to build up this reliable knowledge uh, for how to visit the blue sun. Uh, so that's the, th the theme for the group, but let's put the pieces into place from the labyrinth uh, approach to developing ally groups. So again, this is an ally group. This is not intended to be someone who's hunting down the party, but someone that they may interact with. So there's got to be a reason for them to interact with them. That is, they have to be useful to your uh, party, but your party's interaction with this group might shape their development. Now, what sort of interaction would you be would you be planning out how you think the group would be interacting with them? Like, Oh, you know, they might get hired on to help them, you know, verify these maps, or maybe they want to go through a dream analysis to, you know, help them create these maps. Like how deep do you go there? I would just have a, a handful of hooks like those. Mm -hmm. uh, and then have this whole group set up. And just, if they become useful, if those, if that hook answers a question, or uh, of, of what to do for the next half hour in your game, then you just draw from one of those hooks. So it could be, and I'll give some examples of how this, how the players might affect or be affected by, and in turn affect the group uh, after we build up the group a bit more. So uh, one of the key uh, uh, recommendations from uh, labyrinth is to build internal conflict into the group. That again, this is, this is not intended. So this is not, not, it's not that every group is going to betray the players because that gets cliched and, and uh, predictable and uninteresting, mm -hmm. but that there's some sort of internal conflict that generates tension and therefore stories within this group. So the internal conflict I decided for the Dream Syndicate and Invisible Sun would be that while the original leadership wants to explore the Blue Sun, uh, there's a new there's a faction of new leaders of new members that really want to use this group to create more of a monetized tourism group. So they see the exploration of the blue sun, not interesting for academic purposes or exploration purposes, but simply as identifying places in the blue that can be exploited for tourism. 
And that's the internal conflict. Both groups want to explore the blue, but they want to explore them for different reasons. Uh, so again, this conflict does not have to mean like some, that. They, this doesn't mean imply that either side is going to betray the party or anything like that. But this internal conflict might lead to encounters. It might lead to um, just narrative where the, the this group can grow and change over time, uh, and therefore be more immersive for the players interacting with it. So first, I did the uh, the system from uh, fronts, and I said, "Well, what happens if the players aren't involved at all?" And I had four stages. In the first stage, there's just a few people communicating on the newosphere to gather information. So this is the stage at which the initial group, uh, the the initial leadership, finds each other and begins to realize that they can gain a lot by working together to connect their maps. Uh, to give a better sense of what is under the blue sun. Stage two is when the success of those of that group uh, in, motivates it to recruit more broadly. They realize that they could use help, that there may be other people who are visiting the blue that they could use uh, to get reports about the geography of the blue and use that to build out their map. So you start to see flyers around Saturine recruiting. Um, or in parlors that involve dreams and people connected to the blue, then you might see more, you might see this groups, this group, some of the group members pop up or again, or, or advertisements seeking the advice of people who are familiar with the blue to help them build this map. Uh, stage three, as the group grows, the original intention is diluted by people who are simply watching. That is, they're not exploring the blue. They just want to visit and tour the blue. Uh, and in, who are inspired to explore the blue, but lack the qualifications to do so safely. So some of these tourists hear about these fascinating expeditions to the blue and think that that's great. Let's go do that. And unprepared, they stumble into the blue. And then finally, in stage four, again, this is with no player party interaction. A major conflict does eventually erupt between the original leadership and the leaders of the recent recruits for whom the group is a recreational. And the new group wants to monetize the function rather than continuing to focus on exploration. And maybe with no party interference, either the whole group collapses or it fragments into two different groups, one of which focuses on mapping and one of which focuses on tourism. So at this point, you've put together the backstory for the group, and now you're ready to introduce it to the game and potentially to the players? Right. So this is both backstory and future. That if players aren't doing much, this is how the group grows over time. And at, at each stage, there's different ways the party may bump into okay, them. Okay. And so if, if they don't bite on the hooks for stage one, then they might bite on the hooks for stage two, because those will be different, because the presence is different okay. So at each in stage, you're kind of dropping hooks into the narrative. And if your players pick it up, you might run with it at that point. Right. You might, you might get to stage four. You might have dropped flyers in you might have had them run into these people in the blue and they've never taken an interest in it you get to stage four and the group dissolves and that's their story yep <laughs> or they now and now you have to figure out well how would this group interact with either the tourism group or the exploration group mm -hmm. um and so the the way i have uh, set that out is kind of how each of these stages would affect the world because this is the the hooks that might bring the party into contact with this group. So in stage one, when it's just a few people communicating over the newosphere, the only way the players would likely bump into them is either if you have a player who spends a lot of time in the newosphere, they may 
somehow bump into them. But more likely, if your party is in the blue, they may bump into one of the explorers or a group of explorers from the syndicate and find out about their existence that way. And whether that in, in, uh, motivates them to explore the syndicate more is up to the players, but that's how you would introduce the group in stage one. In stage two, you're back in Saturnine, but you might start to see flyers or you might hear conversation about this new group that's emerging uh, to uh, connect explorers of the blue. And uh, so that, you know, there's a presence in Saturnine that might hook players, the player characters uh, into the syndicate. In stage three, you start to be less subtle and say, okay, now now this group is growing, they're active, and they're doing things the players might be more directly involved in. And in stage three, you might have a hook for a rescue mission that the players are asked to assist when uh, one of those tourist groups wanders into a part of the blue they should never have gone into. And the party then may be asked to go extract them from this dangerous situation. And that's when they would learn about what has happened with this. Who is the syndicate? Why did people wander into the blue? That seems like a really bad idea. Oh, there's this group that's kind of popularizing blue tourism. And, uh, you know, uh, while there's still a hardcore group of people who are actually explorers and highly qualified. So they might find out about the group in stage three. In stage four, again, you just get less and less subtle every time. Um, there's an, there is an, actually an installation being built in the blue as a tourist hub. Uh, I imagine one of those like those those islands that cruise ships buy. They'll buy an entire island and turn it into a theme mm-hmm. park. Something like that that someone has created in the blue, but it is being attacked by nightmare creatures. And again, however you hook pl- the players into it, now you can say, okay, there's a whole backstory here. <laughs> there's three stages of things they've only seen glimpses of. So they didn't bite the hook on that person they met six months ago, but now they're like, oh yeah, that person we talked to in the blue six months ago, they said something about a syndicate. We never did follow up on that. Uh, Or they say, oh yeah, those flyers we saw at, um, in the, uh, the, the blue parlor we visited. Yeah, we didn't really follow up on that, but now you're connecting. The world is kind of growing and changing behind what the players are doing. And it gives that sense of immersion and verisimilitude. Yeah, that's cool. In uh, in honor of the Delta Green uh, tone that the group, the ally groups are always corrupted <laughs> by their contact with the players. Mm-hmm. I did have some thought of how uh, the group might change after contact with the players. And this could go depending on the tone of your game and where you're interested, or how the story plays out. I thought that contact with the player group might, for instance... Uh, lead to disillusionment among the original group uh, that they start to see how dangerous the blue is because they're, you know, they, you, you had to save them or in their interactions with the party, they're like, Oh, you, you, ha- you know, you got chased by what kind of monster in the blue. And so they, they may actually make people in the syndicate more worried about exploring the blue, see the dangers of that exploration. And many of them may become disillusioned and quit the group. On the other hand, you could say that the, uh, the successful exploits of the party empower the mapping exercise and that, that original group and invigorates their efforts to explore more of the blue because they say, Oh, well, there's other groups out there. Um, that's just, we, we need to work harder and faster to map more of the blue because this will serve all interests as we better map the blue. Um, and if we don't, someone else will do it before us and they'll do it less well than we will. So, 
uh, exposure to the party may actually empower the mapping exercise. The new faction may see the party's experiences as an opportunity to market new locations. They're like, oh, they're, they're, they're following on the exploits of your party and trying to turn the places that they visited into tourist attractions that they can monetize. Yeah, I could really see how the changes that the group goes through depends on how the interactions with the, the party actually go. Like, do you run into them out in the blue and do you actually competently rescue them from the blue? Because that might really change that, you know, the uh, group's ideas of how dangerous the blue is. Like, oh, these Vizsla came in to help us and they they got their, their butt spanked. Um, maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, maybe solo explorers are as romantic a notion as that is, is just too dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it'll play out however it plays out in your specific story, but having multiple ideas of how the interaction with the players will change the group is useful, again, to make that group dynamic and therefore to make the connections to that group more immersive for the players in your game. Cool. Any other reactions to these, this sort of inspiration for how to design ally groups? Um, I don't have anything specific to add to it. It, it seems like a really cool idea. Um, and I like the idea of taking fronts and applying it to a group that your players are going to work with and interact with and aren't necessarily antagonistic with. Right. And just think of this as a series of inspirational questions. Mm -hmm. And if you almost like a worksheet when you're trying to develop a group that will just help you flesh out that group in a way that will create a world. Once you have all the groups that you're developing, it'll create a world in which your players are immersed rather than simply a series of, of uh, linear encounters. Yeah. And revisiting, revisiting those groups and determining how they've evolved is, I guess, a whole nother thing that you'd have to do as a GM. Um, and it's just a matter of making sure your notes are set up to support this sort of work. And it helps us do like what we've done so far is mostly antagonist groups for fronts. And we may continue doing that if people still ask for those. Uh, like we've done the uh, the the uh, keepers of form and we've done um, uh, the group based on uh, monism, the monists, I guess we could do more of those. Those are usually antagonist groups, but with this, with this variation on the group building approach, we might be able to do a, a, an ally version of some of these groups uh, or new groups as examples, uh, segments in the future. If you like that, if you like the sound of that, uh, chime in on Twitter and in ways we will discuss in just a few minutes. Sounds good. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. 
Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.